a couple was running late for church. So they get into the car and they're on the freeway. And no sooner are they on the freeway that the driver looks through the rearview mirror and sees the flashing lights. And then the siren goes off. So he pulls over to the side of the road, he pulls down the window, and waits for the police officer. Police officer comes over to the window and said, Sir, do you know why I stopped you? He said, No, sir. He said, You were speeding. So I got to give you a ticket. And as I'm talking to you, I'm noticing that you don't have your seatbelt fastened. That's another ticket. But officer, said the, the driver, I was wearing my seatbelt. Right, sweetheart? As he turns to his wife. So the officer says, ma'am, be, be honest, uh, was your husband wearing his seatbelt? The woman looked sternly straight through the windshield, and without beating a beat, she said to the officer, sir, I never argue with my husband when he's been drinking. <laughs> Third ticket. <laughs> well, don't remember my joke and forget what I'm going to share with you, but um, there's something magical about three. And you've done three things already since you've arrived here at the parish. As a matter of fact, you did it three times. You did three things three times. And uh, we do it, and we probably don't even think about it. What is that? The sign of the cross. Catholics do that automatically. Uh, other faiths have a cross. We have the cruciform. And we do that. We make the sign of the cross. Obviously, when we come into the church, that's the first time you do it because it recalls your baptism. Those were the first words that were poured over you when the priest, along with your family, brought you to church, or if you were you're a convert, that you made that profession of faith. So that's the first moment that we become sons and daughters of God. Through that cross, and through that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is today Trinity Three, we, we commemorate and uh, celebrate this wonderful day. But what I wanted to do with you is to give you some information about, well, why do Catholics do that? Why do Catholics make the sign of the cross? So what I want to do is I want you to follow me or come with me, and I want to share with you some things that you can remember. Because you know one thing for sure? The Protestants are going to ask you, why do you do that? So here's the answer to the question, why Catholics make the sign of the cross. Okay? I know I'm dating myself, but I'm going to share this with you because it's a, it's, a, it's a prayer that was, if you love history, this was a prayer that was composed by a, by a saint, St. Richard of Chichester. He, he came from England, 13th century, and he kind of gave us a good example of what, or an explanation of what the sign of the cross is all about. And this is what he said in his prayer as he composed it. Father, three things I pray. To see thee more clearly. To love thee more dearly. And to follow thee more nearly day by day. I say that every day. Father, three things I pray to see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, 
follow thee more nearly day by day. That was his prayer. And when I was in seminary, 48, 47, (laughs) 49 years ago, um, I heard that prayer in a song. And I'm from New Jersey, from near New York, and so I used to sneak over to Broadway at the time in which I was in the seminary. And there it was. I heard the words of St. Richard put to lyrics. And some of you may remember it. It was Godspell. Remember that? Remember Godspell? Now, all you youngins out there, I I know you wouldn't know that. But uh, it was Godspell. And uh, you can get the lyrics of that on on Google if you need to. But Godspell, day by day, three things I pray. And they put it to lyrics. And it's really a nice song. So the prayer is there. But can I offer you three possibilities or three things that you can remember about why you do this? Let me give you them, okay? And then I think you'll understand why, where I'm going with this. So let's look at the first. Uh, Three things I pray. To see thee more clearly. To see thee more clearly. No, not, not see thee more clearly. See thee more clearly, all right? I'm sure some of you will remember... The Oscar-winning musical, My Fair Lady, have you, have you seen that? I'll give you the plot a little bit, but uh, it kind of brings home the point of to see thee more clearly. Well, the, this is a musical uh, that won eight Academy Awards among the Best Picture, Best Actress, and you need to know the plot. The plot is about an arrogant professor, Henry Higgins, played by Rex Harrison. And we catch up to him uh, meeting with Colonel Pickering, which was a friend of his, and they were debating uh, something that Higgins said to Pickering, I think I can do this. This is, this is easy. And what was he asking, or what was he tra- challenging of Pickering? And Pickering offering, saying, well, good, how are you going to do that? And this is what he said. I can take an un- a commoner from the from the streets of London, a flower girl. I could teach her King's English. I could polish her up, make her high class, and make her a a debutante leading lady. And so Pickering said, fine, I'll take you up on that. So here's Professor Henry Higgins selecting this girl. Elijah Doolittle, remember, that was her name. She was the flower girl, played by Audrey Hepburn. But then the test comes after all of what Henry Higgins was teaching this flower girl. The test was the embassy ball. When Elijah was invited, and surprisingly enough, like Cinderella, she was declared princess of the ball. Princess of the ball. She took home the honors. And everyone returns home ecstatic. And as she sang the song, I could have danced all night. Remember that? Higgins ultimately wins the bet. But here's the the issue. Even though Higgins won the bet, he still saw Elijah as that lowly flower girl. He couldn't get it out of his mind. He says, you might see a princess, but I see a flower girl. And Pickering says to him, you know, she's, she's a human being. You need to treat her as such. 
And so Pickering chides Higgins and insists that Elijah has feelings and she should be treated as a human being. And that was the point of the whole musical. And my point to you is this. To see thee more clearly is not what you see, but how you see. We can all look at each other and we might know some of the things that go on in people's lives and we can say, oh, I know that lady, I know that guy. But that's not the way God sees us. That's what we see, but God sees differently. Because in classic spirituality, and I give talks on this, spirituality is all about seeing and how you see and how you see the world. And that's exactly what it is. It's not seeing with your baby blue eyes, but it's seeing at the heart. So to see thee more clearly is to see how God sees. And in the world in which we live today, very few do that. The only ones I know that see as God sees, and you know them for sure. you got statues all over. They see as God sees. St. Joseph, Mary, and so many of the saints, they see as God sees. They don't see as the world sees. So to see thee more clearly is very important. And when you say that, and when people see that, they're thinking, that person sees as God sees. That, that should be your challenge every day. Now the second one. To see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, I want to share the story. I'll give you the, the, the thing that this individual wrote, and it's very, very, very beautiful. But this individual had a very bittersweet uh, upbringing. Her childhood was terrible. A, a domineering mother, a brow-beating father. This person lived in a house of pain and suffering. It was back in 1846. I'm giving you clues now, okay, so you know where I'm going with this. This individual was one of the greatest English poets of the 19th century. And if you remember your uh, English lit classes in high school and college. So we, if, you had, if you had English lit, this individual you at least read about and recited quite frequently. Well, to say that what I'm going to share with you, this individual, uh, this individual, as, as this she grows up, uh, she meets the love of her life. His name was Robert. And she asks for permission to marry Robert. In those days, you had to ask for permission. And her father and mother turned her down. As a matter of fact, they didn't want any part of the boyfriend that she was going, to, going with. So what, what does she do? She runs off and she elopes. And her parents disowned her right down the spot. So where does she go with Robert? She goes to Italy. And for 10 years, once a week, she sits down and writes letters to her parents. 10 years. With the hope that maybe that one day she would get a response from her parents. She was hoping. 10 years. And finally one day, a big box comes in the mail and a return address was from her parents. She finally got her wish, or so she thought. When she opened up the box, 
There were all the letters. Not one of them was opened. Her parents just put it into a box, left it there, and in 10 years, they sent it all back to her. And in those letters were poems. And I know that you know this one, so let me share it. This was one of the letters or poems that she wrote. Well, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love you to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach. Sonnets of the Portuguese, 1850. Who was it? Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And my point uh, of why I share the story of, of her is that she took her painting, she made poetry out of it. Well, we wouldn't do that, would we? We would get angry, bitter, upset, and, you know, the world is caving in. And she didn't do that for 10 years. But you always, you always have to ask yourself that if her parents had ever had opened up one letter, would the relationship have been different? And that relationship with her parents would have been restored. It never was. It doesn't tell us that she got back with her parents. So, to love thee more dearly is what Elizabeth Barrett Browning can teach all of us. Because it does go on in Lincolnton, I'm sure. Families are like that. But it doesn't have to be. You know, you can take your pain and, and make something good out of it. And some have. Life is short enough. Carl Menninger, uh, the Menninger Clinic, if you know the Menninger Clinic. It, well, Carl Menninger was a famous uh, American psychiatrist. And he said it well. And he said this about pain and about forgiveness. And, and he said this. If I could convince all of my patients in mental institutions that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would be set free of their pain and walk out free and go home. But we, we shackle ourselves with the pain and we keep recycling it, recycling it. It doesn't do us any good. So when you say to love thee more dearly, you're saying publicly to the world out there that I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to stand up and be counted and stand with others. That's why you come here, because there's nobody here that's any better than anybody else. And so we come to a church like St. Dorothy's to ask God's forgiveness when we cannot forgive what, what happened to us or the world. And believe me, there's a lot of stuff out there. Divisiveness, anger. It, it, we're, we're not united. We're not forgiving to love thee more dearly, and to follow thee more nearly, follow thee more nearly, day by day. Let me share this story. I'll give you his name. But he has an interesting past, and the story is his autobiography. Let me read it for you. It's a man who knew the background uh, and the bitterness of growing up as well, but he went into, uh, he, he signed up for um, the army, and he went and he was uh, he went he went to World War II 
theaters throughout Europe and whatever. And uh, the date, and this particular date, July 6, 1944, well, he was a second lieutenant, so he was an officer. And he was assigned to the 761st Tank Battalion. And he was on his way back on the Liberty bus to Camp Hood. And when he got on the bus, the order came to him that he needed to get to the back of the bus. And he refused the order. He wrote in his autobiography, I never had it made, he said this in his autobiography, I was aware of the fact that recently Joe Lewis and Ray Robinson and Rosa Parks had refused to move to the back of the bus. Resulting publicity has caused me tremendous pain. But I knew one thing for sure. The Army had regulations barring racial discrimination on any vehicle operating on an Army post. So I knew what the regulation was. Knowing about these regulations, I had no intention to go to the back of the bus, and that was the reason why I refused the order. So when they get to camp, the MPs come, they take him in, they put him in the brig, and they're going to court-martial him for disobeying a lawful order. But this is what he said in, the, in his autobiography as well. He said, you know, when we reached the last stop on the post, the driver jumped out of the bus, returning quickly with um, two MPs. They took me in, and I had to stand before my commanding officer. And who was this commanding officer but Colonel Paul L. Bates, who was now the one that would determine whether he would be court-martialed and given a general discharge or other than honorable discharge. But this is what Bates did. He refused to sign the paperwork for the court-martial, and he let this man go free. And this man, this second lieutenant, went on to another career after leaving the Army. That individual was Jackie Robinson, the first black baseball player. Jackie Robinson, the first black player in the major leagues in 1947, signing with the Brooklyn Dodgers. He was named Rookie of the Year in 47, National League MVP in 1949, and World Series in 1955. You know, Jackie Robinson gets front page headlines all the time because he was the first black player. Colonel Bates gets a footnote in history. It, it, it's, if you're thinking I'm talking about Jackie Robinson, I'm talking about Colonel Bates. It was Bates who stood up with Jackie Robinson. Follow me more, more nearly is what we all need to do. We need to stand with one another in solidarity. So there are the three. Those are the three things that you and I must do. When every time we make the sign of the cross, to see thee more clearly, Lord, in the world in which I, I, I live, to love thee more dearly in all the things that are broken out there in, in the world, and to follow thee more nearly as your disciple, walking together in solidarity with others. That's what you do, and that's what I do. So when someone asks you why you do the sign of the cross, now you know. So I end. In the name of the Father, 
see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly, day by day. Amen.